Good Wednesday, everybody. We continue our look back on Tennessee's 2019 football season with our Wednesday Rewind, brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Glad to have you along with us on this Wednesday. Today, it's Tennessee and UAB as the Vols beat the Blazers 30-7 to in a game that was forgettable in a lot of ways for Tennessee. Uh, Jerry Garantano playing with um, the broken hand, which we heard. Yes. Yeah. Which we heard about the entire. I don't know if you heard, but it was it, it was a challenge for the handoff uh, using that hand, according to the the commentators on that game. But you know, a game that you wondered if Tennessee really wanted to play him as much as he did as they did, in a game where he got beat around a lot. Tennessee's offensive front um, did not handle UAB's defensive front at all. This was a I don't want to say a forgettable game, but it was not a game that that you felt like Tennessee was building on what they had been doing previous the previous couple of weeks. Didn't you feel like this has been kind of the norm for non-conference opponents along that UAB ilk for the last several years? Like, even the game you – know, take Georgia State off the board, okay? But, like, the, the UABs, North Texas, and I'm not – any of those type programs, Tennessee just seems so disinterested in playing these teams um, that they, they just – play a mediocre game they win an ugly fashion 24 to nothing like they beat north texas or or you know the way they won this game it just seems like that there's a real disconnect with you know getting up for every opponent you know the way they do uh, other games uh well, the league. defense was up for this game jeremy jeremy and ansley had his boys raring to go i mean they, they played a dominant game uh both you know whether it was running bryce had two balls thrown straight to him but the defensive line was dominant. UAB could do nothing in the run game. Uh, you know, if Tennessee can score in the red zone, this score looks a heck of a lot different. I mean, this right. is this is this was a terrible offensive line game. And and if you're tight, if you spin it forward, the, the concern is when Tennessee goes up against big defensive tackles next year against Fair against guys like Fair, is is Brandon Kennedy going to be able to hold up? You know, at times last year he did. In this game, he certainly did not. Tennessee had, I think, of Ty Chandler's 16 carries. Uh, like nine or ten of them went for less than a yard. You know, I mean, they could just do nothing. One named Morris gave up multiple sacks. So, you know, I do think the offense kind of went through the motions and there was clearly, you know, the quarterback stuff. Shrout makes one poor pass across his body, you know, in the red zone. They immediately yank him. JG's getting beat to a pulp. A week after, you know, last week we were praising the South Carolina deal about how many deep passes they hit. They couldn't connect on a single pass over like 10 yards in this game. Um, but defensively, the takeaway is just this was when Jeremy and the unit was kind of clicking on all cylinders. Bryce Thompson's playing a little bit of money. They're moving guys around. Uh, and it kind of shows the potential for what the group could be this next, you know, in the fall. That, that, my biggest takeaway was just kind of what Jesse said, was the difference on both – sides of the line of scrimmage, how, how good the defense – I mean, not – UAB wasn't a great offense by any means, but, I mean, Tennessee's defensive front seven, you know, had their way. Their quarterback pressure all night. They ended up knocking the, the kid out of the game. And then offensively to – I mean, after you saw – you know, I, I thought the way they ran the ball against Alabama, they were productive against South Carolina. You'd think they're – you know, they're starting to figure some things out up there. And, you know, just, just couldn't get it done. I mean, quarterbacks are under pressure all night. And, um, and just a big – the offensive line, that, that performance was lacking, to say the least. Well, and, and I agree with you, Austin. I just think offensively they just didn't have a lot of stinger about them. I, I think, you know, they got the early interception. They couldn't turn that into a touchdown. 
And it was at that point, you know, after it was nine, nothing, it was kind of, okay, get this thing to the finish line. Um, you know, Wanya Morris clearly did not play with the intensity he needed to play. I will say this about Tennessee's defense. I thought they were good. It, that defense would be dominant if they could play a bunch of teams who tight ends elected not to pick up blitz, you know, pick up corner blitzes or safety blitzes. I mean, UAB repeatedly allowed that short corner blitz off the, you know, the short field or, or let that, that nickel blitz happen. The tight end just watched them. I mean, they, they had multiple, multiple, you know, mental bust up there that Tennessee took advantage of. But, but, but this defense was clicking. You, you did not see the, the mental mistakes on Tennessee's, you know, defensive side that, that you saw earlier in the year. It, it was clear they were starting to figure the, you know, the defense out. And they got more multiple, as Jesse, you mentioned, moving guys into different spots. I want to go back to the quarterback situation, the quarterback deal with, you know, with, you know, JT Shroud only getting really one opportunity early in this game, and then he went to the bench. Clearly, there's no, there was no faith in him then. You, you, you don't feel like there's a whole lot of faith in him now. Um, and, and then here's Jared having to play with a broken hand, and there was, there was good Jared and there was bad Jared, and, and I think that remains, you know, the the concern with him. I mean, you go look at what he did in the second quarter. You know, he does some things pretty well. And in that last drive, he throws, a, you know, the ball off his back foot because he knows he's going to get hit, underthrows it for an interception, and, and you got bad Jared there. And I, I think that remains the biggest question mark. We get it in the chat every week, and it's, you know, are you going to get enough good Jared or are you going to get enough bad Jared that's going to keep Tennessee from taking the next step forward? Well, this was, uh, this was definitely a game. I, I'll let you go in just a second, AP. But this was a game that I thought, you know, walking out of that stadium hubs. We're, we're walking out there, heading back to the cars, talking, and we both looked at each other. This was, this was JT Shrout's missed opportunity. If he yep. couldn't do it that game, it's just – it seems hard to believe there's going to be another time where he's going to get a chance as good as that. You know, Mauer's out. JG's all banged up. Shrout makes a couple really nice throws that we, you know, documented just a week ago against South Carolina. So he had a chance. And, you know, I don't know if the moment was too big or whatever, but he just did not take advantage. And now, you know, spinning it forward, it's hard to see him getting another opportunity that golden either this fall or in the future here at Tennessee. Yeah, at the end of the day, um, this is a Jarrett that, again, was much like the rest of this team. He, he he pieced it together during weeks, but this whole team pieced the whole season together, especially this run at the end of the year, you know, really well uh, at, you know, at times. Tennessee could run it against Vanderbilt. They couldn't run it in this game. You know, Tennessee could throw it against Missouri. Then there were other games where they couldn't throw it. I mean, they just kind of brother-in-lawed it. One week it was, it was one facet of the offense that kind of went missing. The next week it was another. Um, and, you know, that kind of is symbolic of what happened with Jarrett pretty much all year. I mean, he would show flashes, but, you know, it just was not consistent enough. Now, with that said, and, and I get it, Tennessee fans got to see it to believe it. Brent, Rob, you know, Jesse wasn't here. We all sat there and watched Jonathan Crompton's miserable 2008 season. I remember vividly him getting booed off the field at Auburn right in front of Peyton Manning on the sideline after that atrocious game on both sides of the ball uh, for both teams and then turned around in 2009 with Jim Chaney and with uh, with with Lane Kiffin and, and was way better that's not to say Jarrett is going to do that but having the same guy in your ear the same voice in your head for two consecutive years 
could mean that he has improvement. But to Jesse's point several weeks ago, just because Jarrett improves doesn't mean the offense is going to improve because the playmakers around him are different. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm firmly on board with the notion that just because you know he's a fifth year, he's going to be a fifth year senior. I, I still think Jarrett can get better, and I I really put a lot of stock in being with the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. But at the same time, I mean, Hubbard, the play you referenced, I mean, that interception right before halftime, that's, I mean, that's kind of his career in a, in a nutshell. I mean, that's the, that's a fourth year junior, you know, forcing that, forcing a bad ball in, into coverage in the end zone, with, you know, with under a minute left when, you know, you just get points there. I mean, that's, that is, that's the kind of play that he, he has got to be eradicated. I mean, he can't, he can't make that play if Tennessee is going to win you know, nine or ten games, or win one they're not supposed to this year. Jared did get a new name in this game. Jerry Tano. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> I think that announcer butchered his name at least six times. Uh, it, 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 there was certainly some, some struggles there. You know, I thought that particular, that particular interception was more of a physical, fundamental flaw interception than it was necessarily the horrific read uh, or even the late timing. I mean, if he steps into the throw and leads, it's potentially there, or he can put it where the only guy who's going to catch it is Tyler Bird. But because his fundamental and his, his fundamentals and footwork were so bad there, he never gave that ball a chance. I, I didn't feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, I didn't feel like that one was two or three steps late or two or three step, seconds late in delivery. It was pressures in my face. I've been beat up a lot. And instead Let's of even it at, yeah, instead of heaving it out of the back of the end zone, he just made a really poor physical throw in that. The other thing that was, you know, showed up again in this game, we talked about it early in the year, um, reviewing last season. This has got to be the biggest area of improvement Tennessee makes this fall. Jim Chaney's got to find some answers in the red zone. They, they've got to find some red zone packages at work. And look, you know, his best red zone weapons, in my opinion, last year, were a fade to Callaway, which he didn't throw enough of, in my opinion, and, and the physicality of Jawan Jennings. I think the question mark when you look at this team in terms of improvement is, is how do they finish in the red zone? What's the package to finish? What's the play calling? Schematically, how are they going to get themselves more productive in the red zone? Because you just don't think they're going to line up and, and just hammer it down somebody's throat four or five straight plays inside the 20. Most teams in college football don't do that. So my question, spinning it forward, is how does Tennessee find red zone answers? Because they reared their head again two-thirds through the season in this game. Well, they either need Gibbs to be that physical type player that Juwan was, or they need a guy like Malachi Weidman to be that jump ball guy that you're talking about that Callaway had the potential to be that they didn't use enough. I mean, they, they have to have somebody emerge in those, in those same type – realms because I don't think they're going to get it from the tight end position you know you could say maybe they're going to get it across the middle of the field with the tight end in the red zone but from who I mean like Pope kind of is who he is he can make a play I'm sure he can catch a touchdown pass I mean you know Austin's a good athlete but at the same time he's been beat up with back injuries and everything else over the years so we mean you know he's not what he was when he first got here athletically and then outside of that we all you know well chronicled Tennessee's lack of depth at the position. So, you know, they're going to have to have somebody step up, whether that's a freshman in, in Malachi Weidman who has the hops or, or D'Angelo Gibbs or somebody. They got yeah, – they got. I mean, they got they, they got so desperate in this game, they got gimmicky and gave the ball to CFA. 
Yeah, he got an end around on one of the red zone possessions. They had a couple runs to Crouch. Crouch did miss a hole on one, but they didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, Jawan gets the, the Wildcat touchdown. I'll be curious to see if they put somebody else in the Wildcat, if that's a Jimmy Holiday, if that's what if that's how they get him on the field with the, you know, threat of a pop pass or something like that, because um, I think Hubs is correct. I, I, I don't think even as improved as his offensive line may be, that they're just going to be able to consistently in tight spaces uh, when the yardage shrinks, just run it straight at somebody. We, we, don't, call say, him, we don't call him CFA, Jesse. It's Carlin Fields Ames. <laughs> I, I would bet money that Holiday has a Wildcat package this fall, and, and certainly I think you'll see it in the red zone. But I, I thought – I mean, I, I don't want to pile on the kid. But, I mean, he obviously didn't live up to expectations. But I – I mean, not having Dominic Wood Anderson not kind of living up to the hype, I think really, you know, showed up in Tennessee's red zone struggles overall. But, that, I mean, that was just something that plagued them all year long. And, that, I mean, to not be able to, to, to jam it home, the way, you know, against a, a, a team like UAB, as many opportunities they had down there, just kind of really highlighted what I thought was one of the, the weakest points for this team all year long was the red, the red zone struggles. Yeah, I just – I mean, I think I think the creativity – I mean, Jim Cheney's making a lot of money, and Tennessee's paying him a lot of money. I think his creativity in the red zone is going to – and imagination in the red zone is going to have to, to really be a catalyst for Tennessee more than just finding personnel. You know, I mean, he had a really nice play on the touchdown in this game to Eric Gray where they got him freed up, one, you know, in, down the kind of rail route that's always open or the wheel route that's always open. Um, as AP likes to say, uh, but but Jesse, I, I just think the creativity is going to have to be on point for this offense, you know, when they get into red zone situations, because I, I just don't think they're to the point they're going to they're just going to run over and maul people, or are they just going to win every you know have these one on one matchups they can win? Well, and that, I was going to say that that, that uh, you know this is going to kind of something that Jeremy would say and he would tell you you know if you're just talking to him you know we got to win more one-on-ones we got you know we got to and I do think there's an element of truth to that at times you watch these games and Callaway yeah he could go up and catch a fade but when they're asking him to just beat a guy one-on-one whether it's beat him inside or double move outside he did not do that and so they were so reliant on Jennings being that guy who could do that Palmer was not they didn't throw the ball to Palmer a lot in the red zone. Does he become a factor? You know, there are there are some opportunities there that if guys can say, hey, I can win my matchup, give me the ball, perhaps Tennessee can see an uptick in production down there. And and technically, you know, we talk about Tennessee's, you know, got a different group of playmakers, you know, can they, you know, give you what Jawan and Marquez and those guys did? Even if they don't, if Tennessee's better in the red zone, then maybe it's kind of a you know, it's kind of a wash. Maybe you don't have the biggest plays anymore, but maybe you're able to sustain drives and, and score seven instead of three. Maybe you're able to take that extra 17 yards or 15 yards or 10 yards that you weren't able to last year. Well, and I just think that part of that's going to have to be on Jim Chaney from a schematic standpoint um, to help to help create more winnable one-on-one matchups and I think that's going to be a fascinating part of the growth and the development of this offense from last year to this year. I think the other thing, too, is you looked at his game, and, and Rob, you, you know, you talk about the dominance of Tennessee defensively, and that, that defensive front is coming back with the exception of Daryl Taylor, who was a menace in this game. I mean, he, he was really good off the edge. 
but they're bringing back plenty in the defensive line to help. Um, obviously, Henry T is going to be a really good player. I still, you know, you still had – they had such a comfort level at this point in the season with Nigel back there kind of masking things for them, closing, closing down windows on sweeps, that type of thing. That, that as you keep watching this season, you keep realizing how key of a position that's going to be replaced for this football team. He wasn't dominant in this game because UAB wasn't good, but he had everything controlled in the back end in this game for Tennessee. And, and that's a big question mark for this team moving forward. McCullough plays every snap. McCullough plays every snap next to him too. This is kind of when he starts to emerge. Now he he drops that or he misjudges that. Why? That's yeah. that's what I was getting ready to say. That the inter, I mean that should have that one hundred percent should have been an interception. Yeah, mis, misjudged that. And Jeremy had a good chuckle with him after the game. You know, joking that he could have caught that thing in loafers or whatever. But you know, this is when uh, Jalen at least starts to assert himself as one of those mainstays in the backfield in the defensive backfield. Yeah, I mean, it, but again, I, I think, you know, finding an answer beside him, who, who's going to be the compliment guy with him. I think the other thing you're seeing, too, in this game, and you've seen it, he's played well all year long, Henry T's instinctiveness is – I mean, he's clearly in the multiplicity of this defense is, is not making bad steps. No longer is there the missteps, particularly with the lateral. I mean, he was good early in the year downhill in the run game, but I, I thought in this game – he was completely locked in and, and did not, you know, was not taking the wrong first step or a false step to get him anywhere, which is obviously going to be key for Tennessee as they'll have to have, he'll have to have a big year and should have a big year for Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's not Georgia, it's not Alabama, but I thought that kind of like jumped off. I mean, how he was so often just in the right spot, you know, the right time. I mean, even if he didn't make the play, he was, you know, where he was supposed to be. And I mean, Man, if you, I mean, if we get hyperbolic for a minute, Hubbard, how, who, who's been a better freshman linebacker than, than Henry T? And I mean, I, I mean, I know a lot of guys haven't had the opportunity because maybe Tennessee was more talented and, and you know, maybe some freshmen didn't get a chance to show. But I mean, that this game, I mean, and just the, watching it this season, going back and rewatching it, made me think, I mean, who's been better as a freshman at linebacker? I mean, I really can't recall one. And, You've been doing it a lot lot longer than I have, but I don't know that there's been a more more productive freshman linebacker than than, than Henry. Well, when you start thinking about Tennessee's, you know, highly acclaimed linebackers and you go back, you know, into that the run that that John Chavis had in the 90s with those guys. And, yeah, they just, you know, they didn't didn't have to play as freshmen. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. You know, they had so much depth there. Um, You know, I I think the thing about about Henry Austin when you look at his game is – it's hard to see that many incoming guys really prepared to play and understanding how to get themselves ready to play the way he did as, as a freshman. I mean, and that's a credit to his program out in California that he played at at De La Salle. But that's a credit, you know, that's a credit to him. I would have loved to have seen Kevin Simon as a freshman, but he was coming off the ACL because he came out of the same program. But clearly the, the, the sophistication that they play with defensively out there showed up big time for him well he's very intelligent and that's something that that i think when he came in um last summer and was able to spend time with jeremy pruitt and drawing up ball plays and and or or two summers ago and drawing up ball plays those type of things um and, and then came in on his official visit in january i think that proved to be you know crucial you know um because i think that they got a real feel 
for all that he could handle. You know, whereas had he I mean, think about it, he didn't even arrive till the summer. I know. You know, I mean, it wasn't like he was here for spring. I mean, like he, he picked up things so fast, understood concepts, and uh, you know, just it just was you know, even if he had a few, you know, head scratchers in game one or game two, I, I attribute a lot of that to the fact that he didn't have D B beside of him. If Daniel Batuli's out there, I think that he kind of cleans up a few of those freshman mistakes from you know, from Henry early on. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was dynamite all year. And it, I think that's why you have to feel like, okay, now he and he goes into that role where Batuli was. Who can he get to come along beside of him this coming year? Is that, you know, going to be Cravoris Crouch? Is that going to be a freshman? You know, I mean, who can he get to, to kind of, you know, rise up their game? But he, he clearly is very intelligent, understands the defense, which is something a lot of people struggle with in year one in this defense. But because of that, because of his, you know, quick maturation and Bryce finally being healthy in this game and then rotating corners with Alante and Kenneth, like we said, McCullough plays a ton. Daryl Taylor's a menace. This was a game that, uh, you know, DT or DA, excuse me, and, and Jeremy start to really flex their muscles. I mean, it, I mean they're running faux, faux bare fronts and like Hubs mentioned earlier, sending all sorts of fire corner blitzes rotating guys at, at various positions. You know, again, what's his uh, – Star and uh, Schamberger and, and Bryce switch between Star and Money on a couple plays. This was – you know, this was, I think, some hints of considering the amount of guys they have coming back, what they hope to do on a more weekly basis in terms of complexity scheme-wise. We, we've joked for two years now that Jeremy says it's not a hard defense. It's simple. We know that's not the case. This was when it came to fruition was, okay, things are clicking. Now let's get a little exotic. Yeah, I mean, I felt like this was a game when, upon rewatch. And, again, UAB is not very good. I get that. But I, I felt like Tennessee defensively dictated in this game more than they had in other games. You know, I mean, there were, there were you know, the, Tennessee was the aggressive. one. Yeah, they were aggressive. And they were dictating how, team, how the offense was going to play. Uh, I mean, they were, they were forceful in how – um, UAB was going to do things. And I think this was really kind of the first time you started to get a feel for that. We would see that in the coming weeks and what Tennessee would do to the Missouris of the world and um, the Vanderbilts, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But I thought this was kind of the first game where um, Tennessee brought a much bigger lunch pail to, to, the, to the game and, and emptied the bucket a little bit more uh, than they had in previous games because they, they had full confidence that the guys they were putting on there could handle all the mental things. I mean, remember, this team is six weeks away from not being to line, not being able to line up defensively on the defensive front, you know, and, and now they're dictating everything the way that they were. So, uh, you know, a, a, an example and, and clear evidence of the growth of, of this unit. Uh, and, and they had a great night, and, and, you know, against an average to below average offense, but a great night. The flip side is offensively. You know, Tennessee showed they had plenty more to learn and plenty more to work on, uh, plenty more things to do. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be kind of fascinating to see how they grow, um, particularly without a spring practice, you know, how they grow offensively, what their chemistry is offensively, and, and everything that they're trying to do. You know, new people on the offensive line. I know they weren't going to have Juan J. Morris, but we've talked about not having Darnell Wright you know, for spring practice and, and his limitations he was going to have and then him not getting spring practice. All of those things are, are going to be 
storylines to watch for this football team whenever they go back to the practice field. But if, if this if this team's going to to live up to their potential, which is eight and four, nine and three, you know, maybe there's a better you know case scenario than that. But I think those are the, at least the more realistic things. They need Wanya Morris to take a sophomore jump. They need him to be better. They need him to be more consistent. Um, and they need the combination of the other two to be more consistent. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there's at least – I think there's at least other options at right tackle, though. You know, Cade's not really an option at left tackle. Um, you know, Jameer is a – as we have seen at times in these rewatch, has played well, but he's certainly not a poster child for consistency either. And so they need to – you know, that that's the one spot on the offensive line that I think – they need Wanye to really become like the five-star that he was and, and kind of, you know, take that leap. All right, you, you played a lot as a freshman. You took kind of some lumps at times, showed your flashes at times, uh, but they need him to kind of uh, grow into that role here as a sophomore. I don't think there's any doubt they need that to happen and they need to tie it in. I mean, it's the same things we've talked about. It's just it's reaffirmed as you rewatch these games. You know, Austin Pope's playing so many snaps. Somebody's got to help at that position. We know what they're losing at the tide or at the wide receiver spot. And then on the offensive line, you know, Tennessee's got to take a jump and then, you know, quarterback play goes without saying, you know, it does feel like though, this is, and everybody asks this, how's this not Jared's team, you know, at the start of, at the start of this camp, they didn't have, they didn't finish the year with any confidence in JT Shroud. They, they don't, they didn't have much confidence in Brian Maurer. You know, how is this thing anything other than J.G.'s team when this team rolls back out and practices football? I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, and we're seeing that throughout the stretch in the close of this season when he's playing, you know, with the, with the cast on the hand and the, and the wrap and all those things. So Tennessee wins over UAB. It wasn't pretty offensively. It was dominant defensively, and they start their run towards postseason play. We'll take a look at Tennessee next week as they jump back into SEC play uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, against the Kentucky Wildcats. In East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained, held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. And there are many heating and air companies in East Tennessee, but there's only one name you need to know, and that's the folks at Blue Water Climate Control. Veteran-owned, family-operated. When you need a new system or a major repair, Blue Water isn't going to send out a salesperson. An air conditioning expert will visit your home. They'll lay out all the options for you, which could be anything from a new system, uh, repairing your current system, whatever they need to do to make your system and to make your home life more comfortable and more energy efficient, they're going to do that. They have plenty of options for you in financing, including same as cash, even rent to own. So call Jeremy and his folks at Blue Water Climate Control today at 865-299-2290 or visit them at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. Make an appointment. Blue Water Climate Control is an authorized dealer for American, American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. For Austin Price, Jesse Simonton, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday Rewind. Have a great day, everybody.